morning, everyone. Great to see you here today to have this opportunity to worship the Lord together. We're glad that you can be here with us. As I begin, I just want to say that if you uh, are have come here today with the thought of following Jesus, that uh, we want to encourage you to do that, and that uh, it, when we sing the hymn at the end of the message this morning, that you are invited to come and say that that's what you desire to do, and we'll be uh, just delighted to help you to confess your faith in Christ and be baptized into him and have your sins washed away. Or if you have a need for prayer or whatever it might be, then please avail yourself of that opportunity to come. We are looking at Daniel chapter 6 this morning. It occurred to me that if you just say the word Daniel to uh, almost any child who's been to Sunday school, you know what's going to come out of their mouths next is, and the lion's den. Uh, that is one of the first Bible stories that our children are taught, and it's one that sticks most readily in their minds, and it's obvious why, isn't it? Uh, it's an unforgettable story. A number of years ago, I was planning to preach a sermon on the book of Daniel, and I, I wanted to use that old VBS song, Dare to Be a Daniel. Do any of you remember that? Okay. Some of you just don't want to admit that you remember it, but I know you do. Okay. Dare to be a Daniel, yeah. And so I was planning to use that song, and I thought, well, that'll be in the section of the hymnal that has the children's songs in it. It's not in ours at all, by the way, in the one we use now. But it, uh, So I looked back in that children's section, and it wasn't there. I thought, well, I know it's in this book. And I looked in the index, and it was with the adult songs, the grown-up songs. And it occurred to me that that's really appropriate because the story of Daniel and the lion's den isn't so much a children's story as we sometimes imagine. The story of Daniel in the lion's den is a story for all of us because it's the story about Daniel and his God. I want you to take your Bible and have it open with you in this sixth chapter of Daniel and look with me to see how God is referred to in Daniel chapter 6. First of all, in verse 5, Daniel's enemy said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Verse 10, When Daniel prayed, he gave thanks before his God. Verse 11, Daniel's enemies came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Verse 16, when King Darius reluctantly had Daniel thrown to the lions, he said, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And in verse 20, the next morning when Darius came back, anxiously waiting to see if Daniel had been spared, he called out to Daniel and said, oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel's response in the next verse was, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths, and they have not harmed me. Verse 23 said he was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And verse 26, Darius decreed that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Clearly, we are to remember and be impressed with the fact that this story is about Daniel and his God. And that that's how Daniel thought about God 
and that that's how other people thought about Daniel's God, that it was Daniel's God. Now, why is the Lord referred to in this chapter so many times as Daniel's God? Well, it's not in any sense that Daniel had a private God or something like that who other people didn't have access to. It, it's not that Daniel had his own concept of God. I, I hear people use that expression sometimes nowadays when you know, they, don't, uh, they don't want to believe something that Scripture says. Well, my God wouldn't, you know, my God this, my God that. It's not about that. It's not about Daniel having his own concept of God. But you see in the book of Daniel, there is a constant tension and conflict between the God of Israel, the God that Daniel served, and the no-gods of the Babylonians and the Persians. There is that constant tension, that constant conflict. Who is the real God? And that's why both, in, uh, both Nebuchadnezzar and Darius, even though they were deeply impressed with Daniel's God, never gave up believing in their own. They were polytheists, and that's just what they thought. They still thought of the Lord as one God among many, and so they referred to God as Daniel's God, your God, as opposed to my God or our God's. And that's why he's referred to that way. And notice that Darius twice refers to God as your God whom you serve continually. See, the story of Daniel is to uh, show the contrast between the God who can actually do something, the God who actually saves people, the only God who can really do that, the living God, and the false gods. There are no other options. There really aren't any options. There's only the living God of Daniel. Daniel was faithful to his God. Darius saw it. Your God whom you serve continually, he said. He didn't just pay lip service to God. He didn't just, as my friend Rush Urich likes to say, believe, God, believe in God. He believed God. And there's a difference. He didn't just believe in God. He believed God. And he put his trust in God. And he served him no matter what. And it's the no matter what that gets tested in the incident of the lion's den. Will Daniel bow down? To no one other than Darius will he forsake praying to his God, whom he and all the others know is the only real God because it's been demonstrated over and over already in the book. Will he bow down to no one but Darius for this period of 30 days? That's the big question. You see, the story about Daniel and his God is a story of faithfulness in times of conflict. Faithfulness in times of conflict. Faithfulness when it's not easy to be faithful. Faithful when the people around you don't want you to be faithful. Faithful when the people around you are opposing your faithfulness. And it's not that different from the situation in which you and I live today. And so there are some important lessons for us to learn from this incident of Daniel and his God. The very first one I'd point out to you is that faithfulness doesn't guarantee that everybody's going to like you. I grew up with the idea that if you did the things you ought to do, then people were going to respect you and appreciate you and like you. And for the most part, that's true. But not always, and especially when it comes to faithfulness in God, to God. 
Faithfulness does not guarantee that anybody is going to really like you. You notice in the text, verse 4, Daniel had been elevated to a high position. One of three men, kind of the, the uh, very small cabinet there, under Darius himself, who were charged with running the whole country. And all these other officials had to report to Daniel and these other two, and they protected the kingdom to make sure that Darius suffered no harm. That was an enormous responsibility. Now, why did Darius promote uh, Daniel to that high position? And he was planning to promote him even higher. He was going to move him up and put him in the number two position in his whole empire. Why? The Bible says it, because an excellent spirit was in him, verse 3. And no one could find any ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. Because he was faithful. Not only was he faithful to Darius, he was faithful to his God. And he was faithful to Darius because he was faithful to his God. And an excellent spirit was in him. In fact, Daniel's faithfulness to God is one reason that the other officials were so jealous of him. You will find in some circumstances, unfortunately, that Satan will entice your enemies to use even your faith against you. They'll use even your faith against you. That's what Daniel's enemy said. We shall not find any ground for complaining against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. That's the only way we're going to find any fault with him. They were willing to use his faith, his relationship with his God against him as a way to bring him down, as a way, hopefully, to have him killed and taken out of the way. But notice what a great compliment they pay to him. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing to have said of you, to have said of all of us? That even those who don't like us, those who don't believe what we believe, those who oppose what we believe, those who hate what we believe, if they were to say, you know, we can't find any fault with those folks. And if we're going to find any fault, it's, it's just got to be in connection with their faith. It's got to be in connection with their God. That, that'd be the best thing that could ever happen to the whole Glen Allen church, if that's what people said, is there's no fault to be found in those people except in connection with their faith in Christ. But faithfulness does not guarantee that people are going to like you. A second lesson is that faithfulness in prayer is crucial to faithfulness in life. In fact, I would go even so far as to say that if you are not faithful in prayer, when the chips are down, you will not be faithful in life. You won't be able to stand up to the pressure. One of the most impressive things about Daniel in this chapter is his prayer life. Notice that when Daniel's enemies decided to move against him, they chose specifically specifically to ask Darius to attack prayer. Make this law, sign it into law, make a decree that cannot be revoked. It's the law of the Medes and the Persians, and it can never be taken back. That anyone who prays to any God or any other person but you for 30 days, O king, shall be thrown into the den of lions. They deliberately attacked his prayer life. You see, they knew that if they could catch Daniel doing anything, they could catch him praying. And they knew where they could catch him praying, and they knew when they could catch him praying. 
And so they deliberately attacked his prayer life. Verse 10, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in the upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel's not showing off for anybody here. Daniel is not trying to do anything in defiance of Darius. He's just doing what he always did. And he always prayed in that window, open toward Jerusalem. And he always did it three times a day. I suppose probably at the same three times every day. And so these people knew they could catch him at it. And by the way, notice when they reported to Darius, they must have watched him all day because they reported that he did it three times. So they knew that if they were going to find anything to find fault with him about, it would be in his prayer life. But Daniel just did what he had always done. But one of the keys to being faithful to your God is the fact that we have the habit of prayer. And that was the key for Daniel. He was a man of prayer, habitual prayer, constant prayer. And it was so much a part of his life that when the pressure was on, Daniel already knew what he was going to do. He already knew what he was going to do. He was going to pray. See, one of the things that prayer does is it prepares us for future trials. Every day when you spend time in prayer with God, it's preparing you for something. And there will be something. There'll be something later in that day, or there'll be something the next day, or there'll be something the next year. We never know what it will be or when it will be, but there will be something for which you need to be preparing day in and day out through prayer. So when the something comes, you can stand fast in your relationship with God because prayer gives you that constancy, that relationship with God in your life so that when the trials come, you just do what you've always done. But when our prayer is lacking, it's almost certain that we won't be faithful when it becomes difficult to do so. If you don't pray when it's easy to do it, there's hardly any chance that you're going to be faithful to God when it's not. Here's the third lesson. Faithfulness brings glory to God. And that's true whether your life is spared or not. Whether Daniel's life was spared or not, he was going to bring glory to God. There are three things in this chapter that Daniel did that honored God. First of all, he served his God, even a pagan like Darius recognized it. And he says twice in this chapter, your God whom you serve continually. He honored his God. He glorified his God by serving him continually, day in and day out, so that even non-believers saw it. Second thing is he trusted in his God. Verse 23 when taken up out of the lion's den, the Bible says no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Why wasn't he hurt? Because he had put his trust in his God. And that trust honored God. And then the third thing he did was that he glorified his God. He gave him the glory. He gave him the credit, if you will, for his deliverance. When he came out of that lion's den, he didn't come out saying, Man, that was a close call. Was I ever lucky? He didn't come out of there saying, I don't know how that happened, but somehow I managed to make it. He came out of there and he said, God, 
did this. My God has sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. That's the only explanation there could be. And Daniel didn't hesitate to say it. And because Daniel said it, Darius said it too. He glorified Daniel's God. Verses 26 and 27, he decreed that all of his subjects fear Daniel's God, for he is the living God enduring forever, he said. His kingdom shall never be destroyed and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in the heaven and on earth, for he has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. That's pretty good theology for a pagan, isn't it? Even Darius could see that. Even Darius is brought to the point of glorifying God because of what Daniel did. I wonder, I just wonder how many non-believers would be led to glorify God if they could see more of him in us. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16? Let your light so shine before men that they may see, what, your good works, but glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let them see God at work in you. Let them see God in your life, and they will give glory to God who is in heaven. Daniel glorified his God by being faithful to his God. And then a fourth lesson. Evil may win victories over the faithful, but it's, evil is ultimately self-defeating. It's ultimately self-defeating. Yes, there will be those times when evil will seem, soon seem to prevail and will prevail even over the people of God. Don't miss the point that Daniel's accusers ended up suffering the fate that they intended for him. Had they been content with whatever their role in the kingdom was, had they been content to leave him alone with his God, they could have gone on with their lives. But because they had this evil intent of destroying him, they ended up being destroyed themselves. The sad part of that story, isn't it, is that their families had to suffer along with them. But that's what ancient rulers often did. That's one way they kept people in line. You get out of line, I'm not only going to kill you, I'm going to kill your family. I'm going to kill everybody that knows you. I'm going to wipe you out. That's just what they did. Is it any wonder that the book of Daniel is frequently alluded to in the book of Revelation? Because they're both about the same thing. They both are about being faithful to God in times of conflict. They both are about standing firm when it's not easy to stand firm. They both are about the fact that evil has the upper hand now, but that it will not always have it. And that there will come a time when evil will fail. He whose heart is not upright in him shall fail, the prophet said. And that's always true in the case of the people of God. What did Jesus say in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and verse 10? Be faithful unto death, and I'll give you the crown of life. The faithfulness unto death part means be faithful if it kills you. And evil will seem to have prevailed, but I will give you the crown of life. And that can never be taken away. Shortly before Paul faced the executioner's sword, he wrote, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. 
Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. He's headed to his execution. Evil is going to prevail for a day. But Paul knew that what awaited him was the crown of life, and nothing could take that away from him. And then he said that in spite of the fact that no one stood by him when he made his first defense, he said, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me, so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. I just have to think that when Paul wrote that, he was thinking about Daniel, don't you? So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. Except Paul went ahead and lost his life. Evil prevailed. But he's received that crown of life. One last lesson, and it's this. We've said it before, and it needs to be said a lot. If you aren't faithful to God all the time, you're not faithful at all. If you're not faithful all the time, you're not faithful at all. You say, oh, no, wait, I can be faithful most of the time. No, faithfulness means constancy. It means always doing what you're supposed to do in serving God. If your refrigerator just operates on certain days of the week, you get rid of it. If your car won't start every tenth day, that's not a good car. You're either faithful to God all the time or you're not faithful at all. Did you notice something about this whole episode? Darius's decree was only temporary. We miss that sometimes. He wasn't saying nobody can ever pray to any other God. He said just for the next month, just for the next 30 days, nobody prays to anyone or anything other than me. Can you imagine how easy it would have been for Daniel to have rationalized that? Daniel could have said, well, God's made all these promises, and I want to stay around to see the promises fulfilled, so surely God wants me to do what Darius said. Or Darius is the king, and I'm a servant of the king, so I better do what Darius said. Or he could have rationalized and said, you know, it's just temporary. It's not going to last. But Daniel did not let one day go by when he didn't pray to his God. And his enemies knew that he wouldn't. They knew that he wouldn't. And that's why they were able to accuse him before Darius. Why do you suppose he didn't? Why do you suppose he didn't just lay off for a few days? Or even the whole month? Planning to resume later? Could it be because he wasn't about to not? Worship and pray to his God even for 30 days? Could it be because he knew that faithfulness means faithfulness all the time, not just when it's safe or convenient or easy or comfortable? Could it be because he trusted God enough to know that even if he died for his faithfulness, he would be better off dying in faithfulness to God than remaining alive and neglecting his God? Could it be? You see, that's very often how Satan tempts us. 
It's only temporary. It's just this once. Knowing full well, knowing full well that there's a good chance if he can get us to lay off that long, we might not ever go back to our God. So Daniel was faithful to his God. Absolutely and utterly faithful to his God. What about you and your God? Let's stand together.